are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning. Welcome, everybody, to Locked On Dolphins. It's Tuesday, which means it's power to the pod. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at DraftNetwork.com. And very excited to get into a laundry list of topics brought to me by you, the pod. Power to the pod. It's your show, your questions, your topics. Let's get into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi is not made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch. Pepsi, made for football watching. Power to the pod. It's Tuesday. I always feel like I got to roll in the show like I'm Bruce Buffer or something in the UFC event. I get you guys hyped. Do my best. I'm a little low on the sleep. Uh, the baby watching Crap's household is still holding strong and steady. Anticipation right now is uh, probably going on Thursday and kickstart the process thanks to modern medicine. So uh, if that plan holds, I'll have another live show breaking down reactions to uh, the All-22, which came out uh, yesterday for the Dolphins contest against the Bengals, charting the offense. I hope to get the whole offense charted before the end of the week. Uh, And then that way we can kind of see what the Dolphins did differently versus the first half and the second half specifically. And we got coordinators talking to uh, the Dolphins media at 10 o'clock today. So lots of good uh, nuggets coming down the pipe. But today is your show, and uh, we got a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of questions. First one, I'm going to go right into the iTunes reviews questions. If it does not show up, I'll get you next week, I promise. I always do. Finns fan number one. Question, do we need to upgrade on the O and D lines to get our run game and run defense to the next level? I do think there is some... There's a little bit of a glass ceiling over the offensive line. Uh, I don't know how high the ceiling is with Ted Karras and Eric Flowers as two of your five starting offensive linemen. And that's okay. Uh, I I think Ted Karras has played some of his best football in the last month. Uh, Flowers, kind of, he is what he is, and you knew when you were paying him that you were getting an average starting guard. Uh, And that's why I think Eric will probably play out the life of his contract or potentially just two out of the three years of his contract. And I would not be surprised to see Miami ultimately choose to go in a different direction. Now, whether or not they choose to invest at the guard position uh, with the wiggle room, say they drafted an offensive guard uh, in 2021 in the NFL draft and wanted to work with that player for a year before cutting Flowers loose because they can cut him after 2021 and save $10 million against the cap, that's kind of a philosophical thing that we really haven't seen the Dolphins in those shoes yet with this regime, so it's hard to say, but I wouldn't be surprised. Defensively, yeah, I think we need more We need more stout horses up front, and you also need linebackers that can scrape and flow and fill. Um, the loss of Devon Godchow has kind of forced Zach Sealer into a, a greater role on defense, and he's done very well with it. I think uh, Godchow is probably, unless he takes a very team-friendly deal, he's probably going to be on the outs, and uh, we'll have to reinvest to get 
more depth at that position. But I think the bigger issue with the run defense for Miami personally is the linebackers. Uh, let's see. How do you feel about Chuba Hubbard and Rondale Moore's draft picks? Okay, so Chuba Hubbard, very down year this year for Oklahoma State. He rushed for 2,000 yards in 2019. Uh, he's nowhere close to that. And I've always kind of thought Chuba Hubbard was, uh, he's got a track background at, and from Canada and, and high-profile uh, Canadian recruit. I always thought he was kind of just tough and straight line, but didn't really bring you a lot of creativity as a runner. And I think you're seeing that pop up for Oklahoma State this year with some of the personnel changes that they've had. Um, they've kind of had a quarterback merry-go-round as well. Chuba really doesn't move the needle for me, if I'm being honest. He, I don't think he's the kind of back that I would get really excited about playing in Miami versus some other guys. And Rondale Moore, if you can get him on the discount, that's great. Um, he's had a lot of injury red flags and concerns. He missed half the season for Purdue this year with like a lower body injury, and he missed two-thirds of last season with lower body injuries. And so just like that kind of scares me with these smaller guys. Uh, but if you can, you know, I probably wouldn't invest a first-round pick in Rondale Moore, but if you can get him at like 56, he's still around, yeah, I'm pulling the trigger on that. It's a good value proposition. Uh, Bruns Finfan. Are Hunt and Jackson the long-term answers at tackle? How would you rank our offensive linemen this year? This is an interesting question. Okay, so I do think Robert Hunt, it's ironic because Jackson cracked the starting lineup first. And I think some of that probably had to do with Solomon Kinley wrestling away the guard role and Miami not wanting to start three rookies right away on the offensive line. But, like, I'd probably rank them. Hmm, maybe not exactly. I would still put Hunt when Hunt is on the field as Miami's best offensive lineman, or best rookie offensive lineman, I should say. Um, he has the highest highs. Uh, he has some lows he gets out overextended and, and gets out over top of his toes and loses his power in his base and you know that comes back to bite him at times but i i genuinely think and i thought this in the summertime that robert hunt would be the most effective rookie offensive lineman and i still believe that uh solomon kinley i think is solid uh, i think if miami can get a little bit more true downhill in their offensive attack it will really help solomon become an even greater asset. Uh, he's best in tight quarters. We knew that when the dude was 340 pounds coming in. Uh, but Miami in tight quarters doesn't sustain their gaps to be able to really run up behind guys. But, I mean, look at the first the first play. They put him at, on the left side when Flowers got hurt against Cincinnati, and he drove 300-pound man seven, eight yards off the ball. Um, I, I think some of the, the restrictions with Solomon come in his range and his quote-unquote gravitational pull, and Miami does try and do some stuff in the screen game, but they've really dialed it back because their offensive linemen can't get out there in front of those kinds of plays. And Austin, highest highs, lowest lows. Um, peaks and valleys, really bad against Denver. Like, Denver ate him alive. Um, he's super toolsy and athletic, and I think this year is a great experience. And Brian Flores was asked by Travis Wingfield uh, yesterday about player development. And Brian said, you know, all these players are developing at their own pace, but I think whether they're in there and they're playing and they're playing good or they're playing bad, like they're all developing. And that's the important thing. So I do think the tackles um, are going to get probably another two years of evaluation, but I've liked what I've seen from all the rookies. 
How would I rank the offensive line? I would probably sit here, go down the line, and say Ted Karras, one. Jesse Davis, two and a half. Robert Hunt, two and a half, just because they haven't. Robert hasn't started at a high enough level. Solomon Kinley at three. Um, Eric Flowers, four. Austin Jackson, five, I guess. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Uh, Fat Bastard 360, what's up, man? Really thankful we have crabs covering the Dolphins on a daily basis. I'm very thankful for your listenership. Thank you. Uh, Question, I love Tua and I love Fitz, but is there a downside to having Fitz back as the backup next year? Would Tua be better off with Fitz and his big brain in the QB room or better off without Fitz there for the media to call for if he is having a bad game? You know, this kind of became apparent to me last week. Two, fat bastard, if I'm being honest with you. It really became apparent that, like, man, like, this Fitz thing has the potential to be a distraction. And Fitz, at 38 years old, he's not going to keep playing forever. Like, it could really benefit you to have him back with his familiarity. And if the locker room's able to tune out the noise and the quarterback room's able to tune out the noise, then, like, yeah, that can help. It would benefit to have Fitz back. But if this is going to become a thing, and I wish it wasn't like this in the fan base, you can support both guys. But there's a Fitzpatrick, there's a Fitzpatrick divide. There's a better chance to win now. There's a Tua divide for we need to get the future and so on and so forth. And I I think we're all kind of pulling in the same direction, and I don't think it'll be a problem for the team, but I do think it's becoming harder and harder to ignore that there is kind of this split consensus on whether Fitzpatrick should be starting now or Tua should be starting now. And Tua will be the unquestioned starting quarterback moving from here on out. But the first time he gets hurt and Fitz comes in and balls out, and these questions come back, like it's it, it has the potential to be somewhat problematic for Miami. Curtis Cass, first off, want to say you make my work day easier being able to listen to this podcast every day. Well, thanks for listening. Wanted to ask out of next year's free agent wide receivers, who would you want to see Miami sign? And free uh, same question for free agent running backs. Oh, boy. Okay. Wide receivers. Um... If you're not scared off by the money, Allen Robinson is interesting to me uh, as an upgrade over Preston Williams. Corey Davis is interesting to me as an upgrade over Preston Williams. Corey Davis, 26 years old. He's having a breakout season, averaging 15 yards a catch, kind of following and similar athletically to Devontae Parker. He's following the Devontae Parker career path as well. Um, you're betting on a one-year wonder there, and that's where that one gets a little scary. Uh, I don't think Will Fuller, who is suspended uh, for the remainder of the season, is necessarily a great fit for Miami because he's more of a true vertical receiver. 
I'm not interested in John Ross. Uh, durability there is non-existent. I think Curtis Samuel from Carolina is an interesting name to peg. Uh, Samuel's 25. Juju Smith-Schuster at 24, obviously. Pittsburgh feels to be phasing him out. And if that's the case, um, I think he definitely warrants strong consideration from the Dolphins. Those would be the names that I would put into consideration for Miami. And and if you could find the most um, sensible financial commitment out of that group, I think that's that's probably the direction I go. Uh, Running backs-wise, I mean, you tell me. I'm going to read through the top names available. Kenyon Drake, Todd Gurley, Tevin Coleman, James White, Matt Breida, Mike Davis, Rex Burkhead, uh, Brian Hill, Carlos Hyde, Leonard Fournette, Malcolm Brown, TJ Yeldon, Deion Lewis, Chris Thompson, Devonta Freeman, Jarek McKinnon, LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, Alfred Morris, Devonta Booker, Ty Montgomery, Amir Abdullah, Dwayne Washington, DeAndre Washington, Le'Veon Bell. Any of these names moving the needle for you? Like Le'Veon Bell maybe, but like I kind of think Lev's a little washed personally. I'd rather just draft a guy in round four. Thought it was interesting, Le'Veon signs in Kansas City, and then like three weeks later, he's like, oh yeah, I want to be a starter next year. Well, you should have signed in Miami, dude. James Conner is interesting. Uh, He has some nice resume as a pass catcher as well. Uh, Spotrack forecasts his annual average salary at about five and a half to six million dollars per season. That's not bad. That's that's one area where I would potentially look. Uh, Marlon Mack, I don't think is a great fit for Miami scheme wise, but he's an interesting player. Uh, I think Aaron Jones is going to be really difficult to ignore, but the price point for Aaron. Uh, is going to be a big-time problem because Aaron Jones is, according to Track, forecasted to get somewhere around $13 million annual average salary. And that is just not money that I can justify spending on a running back. 26 years old. He's so good, though. That's the challenging thing with, with the high price point backs. We've seen a lot of the, the appealing ones really drop off the market and get signed already, to be honest, with Kamara and, and some of those extensions. Chris Carson, one from Seattle, I do think is interesting. His forecast for salary is about $9 million per. That's a name to watch. Uh, if you can kind of get him closer to 8 maybe, I can get on board. But uh, the running back free agent crop is not very inspirational. Next question comes from Elfman, 36. Found this right before 2020 draft and have absolutely fallen in love with this podcast. Ironically enough, Elfman, we have fallen in love with you as well. Question, do you see the Finns selling high on Xavier Howard to garner more picks a la Tunsil? And can Iggy fill in capably at this point? Well, the good news is we saw Iggy filling um, against the Bengals. He played a over 20 defensive snaps. He was targeted once. Thought he played fine. Um, obviously, it's Cincinnati, so grain of salt. I don't think that we're moving on from Howard at this point. I, I think it would have had to have been a godfather deal, and because to, to even entertain trading him when this was a thing a couple weeks ago, 
Well, somebody probably called and asked about Xavier Howard, and then that turned into, oh, well, the Dolphins are shopping Xavier Howard. No. Um, I don't know if a tonsil deal gets it done with Xavier Howard at this point in time. And I don't necessarily know that the Dolphins need to do that anyway because you're, you're sitting here as a team, and you can honestly say, okay, we are going to trade back. We've got two first-round picks, two second-round picks. Let's trade back. We can get an extra first next year by moving back 10, 15 spots if we like our options, et cetera, et cetera. That is a more sustainable way to build a contending program than to continue to trade your good players. And Xavier Howard having the season that he is, I do think it would send the wrong message uh, to trade him at this point in time just because – you want to reward your players for playing well and, and buying into your program, too. And I don't think that should be overlooked. So Xavier Howard, he's bought in. And he's balling out. And the Dolphins have already paid him. Let's roll with him. He's one of the faces of your franchise right now. And he might win Defensive Player of the Year. Question from... I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not even going to try and say this username. <laughs> Every third letter is a Y, a H, or a U. Power to the pod question. Would you consider doing a weekly single play breakdown video on Twitter like Benjamin Solak does for the Eagles? I know you're active on Twitter, and I think it'd be cool to have some visual content from you in addition to the podcast. I would love to. Here's my challenge. I'm the director of scouting at the Draft Network. So once we hit the offseason... Uh, we're going to be studying tape on all the college prospects. Uh, me and I got a team of five guys that I work with. It's a great group. Jordan Reed, Dre Harris, Joe Marino, Brentley Weissman. Uh, work with Jamie Eisner on content. It's a great group. Uh, but we are trying to watch, scout, write reports on, and rank 400-plus prospects. Take on top of that. I do the podcast here every day. Take on top of that. I do Draft Dudes podcast five days a week. I'm also the managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire. So that's five to six pieces of written content a day. And then now I'm introducing a small, tiny human into my household. Uh, so I actually think, to answer your question, it's going to be more feasible for me to do something like that in the off-season instead of in-season because I'll have more flexibility. The hard part with me now in trying to balance everything is you go to bed on Sunday night and you wake up and it's Thursday morning and you're starting the next week already. It just flies by. I would say this, though. Um, look for video content. I think video content specifically pertaining to the Dolphins and plays and, and showcasing when, when I'm evaluating this roster at the end of the year, full body of work. Hey, this is what this player does well. Here's a good example of that. Hey, conceptually, this is what we're doing. Here's a prospect from college that fits that role. That's the kind of video content uh, I would say, you know, you'll expect to be able to see a little bit of out of season when we don't have regularly scheduled college games Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, uh, and even now Sundays at times. And then we've got NFL Thursday nights, Sunday, all day, and Monday, and sometimes Tuesdays. So, uh, yes, more video content will come to answer your question. We here at the Locked On Network have been big-time proponents of the Built brand, and Built's newest product, Built Go, just ups the ante even more. It's a workout gel that's built to help you break through your mental or physical wall each and every day. It's easy to take. It comes in a one-and-a-half-ounce package. 
You put it in your back pocket, in your golf bag, in your briefcase, in your glove compartment, wherever, and it's always ready to go when you are. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's like five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. It's like drinking a Monster with a third of the caffeine and better results. It comes in three delicious flavors. My personal favorite is chocolate mint, but there's also peanut butter honey and chocolate coconut. Bilco combines energy gel with collagen protein, which is fast-absorbing, and it gets into your system fast, and it's easier on your stomach. It's loaded with the good stuff to ignite your system. Beta-alanine, B3, honey, caffeine. And it's built to kick all day long with B6 and B12. So visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Uh, JFL26, by far the best Dolphins podcast out there. You are too much... I'm blushing over here. I've been a listener to the show for years and just keeps on getting better. Uh, thank you for all your hard work. Okay, so power to the pod question. Oh, my guy. Recent new premium sign up on TDN. Love everything about the work y'all are doing there. Thank you. Very cool. Question for power to the pod. Of the positions that need of need that this team has, wide receiver, running back, edge, linebacker, interior offensive line, safety, et cetera, and maybe sa- safety for feeling gluttonous. Which positions do, would you prefer that we fill via free agent and which via draft, or which do we double down on? I'm here for doubling down on wide receiver and running back. I'm here for doubling down on linebacker. I don't necessarily feel like we need to double down on edge. Um, but if they want maximum long-term flexibility, it's something that we should be open to. I think you'll see much less roster turnover, right? We had more than 50 to 60% roster turnover in each of the last two years in the offseason. I think that number will probably be closer to 30% this time around. Uh, but I'm definitely double-dipping at the first two. Running back and wide receiver, I'm trying to sign one so I know what I'm getting. With the body work at the pro level, I'm probably drafting two at the wide receiver position. I'm going all out. And then anything that I feel like I need, if I get a, a value that's good, too good to pass up to upgrade the interior offensive line, I'm doing that too. Uh, SD1943. Would you agree the biggest difference between Flores' staff and his predecessors the last 15 years is player development? Seems like... We have for two decades been only to able buy talent or get lucky to draft guys who are going to succeed anywhere. When we, that doesn't happen, we have historically been awful at developing players and deploying them intelligently. If above is not the biggest positive difference, what is? Thanks. Um, I think there's honestly a lot of variables at play here. Uh, I do think player development is probably the one that we should be the most encouraged by. But I think... The biggest organizational difference, uh, and I'm going to rope this into the coaching staff as well as the front office, is it's the first time in a decade plus that everybody in this organization is on the same page and pulling in the same direction. You have in-house fighting between Tony Sperano and Jeff Ireland, and Jeff Ireland survives and hires Joe Philbin and then Joe Philbin and Donna Ponte team up and they're fighting with Jeff Ireland 
and they get Jeff Ireland fired, and then they can't hire a new GM, so Dennis Hickey comes in, and then they fire Joe Philbin and come over the top with Mike Tannenbaum, and then they hire Adam Gase, and it just becomes like this very messy, sloppy, and even when, even when Chris Greer was the GM before 2019, he's working parallel in tandem, but also subordinately underneath Mike Tannenbaum. And Adam Gase has personnel control as far as like 53-man roster cuts and stuff. It's like, just get in line. Get everybody on the same page instead of Tannenbaum saying we need this and Adam Gase saying well, we need this and I need this and they're not picking the right guys. And like, it's it was such a toxic corporate flow chart for a really long time and getting... Stephen Ross, from a football operations perspective, Chris Greer runs the show. And he picked the head coach, who's somebody that, that they're on great terms with, and they collaborate on a daily basis. And that dynamic, I think, is the biggest difference between these Dolphins, this regime, and past regimes. Okay, and board. Happy, early, belated, becoming a father. It's a ton of fun. Question, would you rather have the Bills beat the Steelers so there is no chance of an undefeated season? but lose any chance of winning the division or Buffalo Bills lose to the Steelers and the Finns win the division this year. Um, Okay, so Washington football team took care of this for us last night because they beat Pittsburgh. Welcome to Perfectville, population one, 23-17. This becomes a no-brainer now, right? Like, And this is, I was going to talk about this, I was going to try and find an excuse to talk about this anyway. This is the perfect excuse or perfect time for the Buffalo Bills to be meeting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because Pittsburgh, I'm going to be honest, I'm a level with you, Pittsburgh. You played like shit last night. You were v- terrible last night. Everybody, Nobody could catch anything. Steelers have 10 more drops than any other team in the NFL. Uh, very vanilla. One of their best players, Chase Claypool. They couldn't even put him on the field in the second half. They threw the ball 51 times. They refused to run the ball. Washington beat the tar out of them up front. Pittsburgh is going to be pissed. So Pittsburgh now has the prime opportunity to come into the game against the Bills next week with something to prove because they're 11-1. They just lost a game. Nobody respects them. They played bad. It's the perfect timing to play a team like the Bills who just refuse to lose a game. They refuse to lose a game. It's killing us. So that's that's where I would uh, point. I'd say it's pretty... Pretty cut and dry at this point in time. We need to be rooting for the Steelers, but this is the perfect time for the Steelers to catch the Buffalo Bills. Finsman72. Congratulations to you and your wife on the upcoming birth of your daughter. Thank you very much. Uh, been a fan of this team for 50 years. Just seen about everything you can imagine with the Dolphins. Never in the past 20-plus years have I been more excited to be a fan. It's close to the 70s and 80s when... Every game, no matter what the opponent, you get the feeling we have a good chance to win. It's a great feeling. I agree. And I know I, I kind of echoed that sentiment yesterday when uh, saying we should all be nothing but excited. There should be no negativity in this fan base right now. We all want the same thing. We're all pulling for the same thing. This is the best position this franchise has been in in 30 years. 30 years. My entire life. I'm 31 years old. The early 90s were good. We had to deal with a juggernaut in Buffalo. 
Uh, Dan Marino retired. Shula retired in 95. Marino retired in 99, technically early 2000. And the Dolphins are better positioned now when you take a look at the product on the field, the coach that they have, the youth of the roster, and the assets to move forward with. They are better now than any time since 2000, minimum. And then you could even go back further and look at the landscape and look at some of the rosters and like, yeah, you had Dan Marino, so that's a massive leg up. So if you want to cut it off at 20 years, I'm not going to argue with you. Best position this team has been in a long time. Last iTunes review question of the day. It's from FinFan927. Bro can't tell you how refreshing it is to listen to someone who will tell you how it is. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad, you keep it real, and I respect not to mention your opinion is usually on par with what I am thinking also. Um, Listen, I'm giving you my version of reality. I try and stay as grounded as possible. I try and take advantage of my full-time job, which is the director scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, and we're looking at all 32 teams and how they're constructing rosters and what kind of personnel decisions they're making and how they evaluate talent and try and apply that on our own and, and do projections and forecasts and so on and so forth. And like looking across the league, what Miami is doing is so much improved. Um, and I can only give you my evaluation of the team. And I hope that that's something that everybody enjoys. Uh, one question from FinFan927. Is it just me or does our offensive line not fit the scheme we try and run on? Seems like we're built for power football, but don't run power football. We do, though. Uh, we, we run a blend. There's a lot of inside zone. There's a lot of pullers and power concepts and lead and counter. And uh, the problem is, if you're going to be good at power football, you have to be able to sustain your blocks and reset the line of scrimmage. And I know this has been a talking point that we've talked about over the past couple weeks and and all season long, but Miami, they've got good pop. They have good power at first contact. But their ability to sustain blocks, their ability to reset the line of scrimmage um, is handcuffed for different players in different ways. Um, Eric Flowers, for example, uh, he can carry a little bit of wide hands. Uh, When he pulls... You can tell he's fairly stiff in the lower half. He bends at the waist a lot. And as a result, he's got high pads. He doesn't redirect as cleanly. He doesn't catch his blocks cleanly when he's forced to block in space. And when he's in tight quarters, there's times where guys get underneath of him, and with wide hands, he'll let guys slip past him. For Austin Jackson, I think it's more of a hand technique kind of issue where he's got to be able to secure and establish control of the block instead of just punching and and running and getting into position. Solomon Kinley, I think the issue is he's such such a power-oriented player that he doesn't have a great blocking radius. Uh, He's predominantly an A-level blocker, and that's okay if you've got an athletic center that can climb, Uh, but that chemistry is still developing with Ted Karras, and and Kinley's kind of been in in and out of the lineup with this foot injury. Missed a couple starts. Oh, yeah, Jesse Davis over there. Now he's over on the left side. So the offensive line, I think, is something that just takes time. And unfortunately, the only way we're going to get time is to play through it. And, um, yeah, I, I think that is the root 
of Miami's issue is, and they want to run the ball. You can very clearly see they, they're a little too stubborn as far as we can't run the ball, but we're going to try to continue to run the ball. They don't have the back to run power football is the big issue, and that's why they spent the money on Jordan Howard. So I think they're moving in the right direction, but again, and I'd say this too as far as not criticizing Miami too harshly for not getting this right on the first swing of the bat, this is something that every team experiences. You bring players in, they don't fully fulfill the role you're anticipating that they would. There's growing pains involved. Sometimes there's chemistry issues, uh, but how you get it right is not swinging the bat and getting it right on the first try every single time. You get it by swinging the bat, um, but leaving yourself the wiggle room and the flexibility to adjust your trajectory after the fact. And, and I look at a really good example of this is in Dallas with the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas uh, was a team that was really tending in a posi- trending in a positive direction. And all this young talent. And they extend Ezekiel L to a six-year $90 million contract. They extend Demarcus Lawrence on a five-year $125 million contract. They extend Amari Cooper. They extend Jalen Smith. Well, they didn't leave themselves enough money to re-sign Byron Jones, and Byron Jones leaves in free agency, and the Dallas Cowboys secondary is awful. And they didn't re-sign Dak Prescott to an extension because they wanted to get cute with him, right? Well, now... They come into the season. They're expected to be playoff contenders. Mike McCarthy is not doing the job he's supposed to do. The defense is horrible. They're Swiss cheese. Gerald McCoy uh, abruptly leaves the team unexpectedly, leaves them with a hole in the middle because they tried to plug that with an established veteran. Dak Prescott gets hurt. And now this team is looking at having $15 million to $20 million in cap space next year, but they have to sign Dak Prescott still. And you say, okay, well, let's manufacture some cap space. But the problem is they have given out a bunch of, quote-unquote, Mike Tannenbaum contracts that have a huge number of guaranteed money, and it's all extrapolated well beyond the here and now. So you just signed Ezekiel Elliott to this nine-year or six-year $90 million contract, but if you try to get rid of Ezekiel Elliott this offseason, you're going to be on the hook for $25 million in dead cap. Demarcus Lawrence, $27 million in dead cap. Jalen Smith, like $15 million in dead cap. You'd spend more money against the cap by getting rid of them and getting them off your roster than you would by by keeping them. Okay, so how do you fix that problem? Well, I guess we could um, restructure and defer some contracts down the road. Okay. That's what the Dolphins did for so long. And how did that work out to them? That is how you end up because you're so up against the cap, you're pushed up against the cap, and you don't have the assets to restock beneath it. Your flexibility becomes very rigid and narrow. And the Cowboys are a team that's facing that now where they're going to have to perfectly thread the needle to get Dak Prescott back on the, on the, the books next year, manufacture the cap space, and hope that it all clicks back into place when they have no secondary players at all. So the Dolphins, the way they structured their contracts, that's why this is important. Because the Dolphins signed players like Eric Flowers and Shaq Lawson to three-year, $3 million contracts with all the guarantees in the first two years. So if Eric Flowers comes in and he starts for you and he underperforms, it's a two-year commitment. And after two years, 
you can cut the third year, no guaranteed money, no questions asked. The Jordan Howard contract, it's a two-year, $10 million deal. We put all the guarantees in the first year of the, of the contract. So that way, if Jordan Howard stinks and averages 1.2 yards per carry for the Dolphins, you can cut him during the season. Your cap commitment for the end of the year is just, it is what it is if we were going to keep him on the roster. And there's no money that is burnt towards readjusting and refixing and addressing the position in 2021. So that's the big difference. That is, I think, how Miami, I have no problem with the fact that it didn't work on the first swing of the bat because A, this rebuild is still very young, but B, the people and the players that they did bring in, they've built themselves the flexibility to be able to get out of those contracts in a way that is going to protect the Dolphins from ending up like these teams that get boxed in and cannot pivot, cannot adjust and therefore, it's like, well, we're stuck with what we got, so we need to find a way to make it work. Dolphins don't have to do that. And that's a massive win for this team. And we didn't get to any Twitter questions. It's, we're 35 minutes into the show. <laughs> so what, what I'm going to do, um, Baby Watch continues, right? I'm going to take Twitter questions, and I'm going to anticipate that being a large chunk of the show tomorrow. Uh, instead of if I get the call to the bullpen and we got to go deliver a tiny human, um, I'll save the draft stuff. I'm just going to record more of your questions for this week, and we'll effectively have two power to the pots this week. And um, you know that that's easy for me because I'll hang up here. I'll, I'll process the podcast. I'll get it up so you guys can listen. And, and while you're listening, I'm going to be recording tomorrow's show or Thursday show, whatever day that has to run. So you guys rock. Seriously, you do. Uh, very thankful to have each and every one of you who tunes in and listens every single day. Very thankful for this team, the direction that they're moving, and very thankful for the opportunities that await over the last four weeks of the 2020 NFL season. I'm Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins. Keep it locked in all week long. Come back, see us again tomorrow, and thanks for listening to Locked on Dolphins.